The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. We're looking at verses 15 through 25, which are the last 10 verses of the book of Hebrews. Amen. Uh, Today we are are traversing the final steps of our 26-week journey through the book of Hebrews, and I personally think it is fitting that we are finishing this book on Palm Sunday. This is historically recognized as the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem. It's sometimes called the triumphal entry, uh, but oftentimes called Palm Sunday because people were pulling palm branches down. They were waving them in worship to Jesus, and they were laying them in the road so that the beast he was on uh, was walking on those leaves. Some were laying their coats in the road. It was an incredible time of acknowledging Jesus and his worth to be worshipped. And uh, some of the people uh, understood some of why Jesus was worthy to be worshipped that day. But nobody there yet understood the fullness of why he deserved to be worshipped. And, and you might say, well, are you sure? Well, even the apostles were surprised when he rose from the grave. Okay, So if anybody was clued into the fullness of why Jesus was worthy to, for people to make a big deal as he came into Jerusalem, it would have been the apostles. And yet even they were surprised when he rose from the grave. It's not that he didn't tell them, it's just they didn't quite hear it. They didn't, they didn't understand the fullness of what God was doing with his grand plan of redemption. Uh, and, and here's the thing, this book has, has really led us through the reasons it was altogether fitting for people to lay their coats in the road and palm branches on the ground so that the very hooves of the animal Jesus was riding on did not touch the dirt. He is worthy of that kind of adoration. And and we've spent 26 weeks being led through the depth of the reasons why he alone is worthy of that kind of worship. And so if you were maybe bummed out, it's like, oh man, we're still in the book of Hebrews. I was hoping for a, a good old Palm Sunday sermon. Well, friend, you're getting one. We've had a Palm Sunday sermon series. Because if the point of Palm Sunday is that Jesus alone is worthy to be worshipped, buddy, you should be ready for this. Amen. If you go back and you remember where we've been as we've worked through this book, we began with the truth that Jesus is superior to anything or anyone we could be tempted to worship or to put our trust in. This included angels and prophets and even Moses, who was revered by those still clinging to the old covenant. And why were they clinging to it? It was because they didn't understand that the old covenant was a part of God's plan to rescue and redeem humanity from our sin, but it was not the whole plan. That was really the issue, and part of what Hebrews has helped us see is not that the Old Covenant is bad, the New Covenant is good. God established the Old Covenant. It was a part of God's plan of rescuing us from our sin, but it wasn't the whole plan. We were encouraged to see Jesus as we moved on through the book of Hebrews, to see Jesus as our Sabbath rest from striving to earn the love of God in this life. And to also see Jesus as our source of hope for the eternal Sabbath rest we should be yearning for. We then were taught that Jesus is the best, final, and eternal high priest. And his priesthood is not of the order of Aaron, but of Melchizedek. Which means we never have to worry about him failing or faltering in his love-motivated position. Where he presents God to us and us to God. We were warned in chapter 6 of the perils of falling away from the faith and, and, and what it looks like if we fail to trust in God's good promises for us. We were assured that there will never need to be another sacrifice to atone for our sin because the sacrifices of the old covenant were a temporary provision and they pointed forward to the perfect sacrifice of Christ. 
We were commanded in light of these incredible truths to never forsake the gathering of ourselves together, to never stop encouraging one another, and to always be spurring each other on to love and good works. We were given example after example of the amazing truth that God has always called his people to live by faith. And that anyone who ever has or ever will obey him and has participated in his grand plan of redemption, they did so by faith. It's always been by faith. In light of this, we were called to run the race of this life with endurance, setting our eyes on Jesus as the perfect example and also the great prize at the finish line. We were taught about the Father's love being expressed through his willingness to discipline us for our good with incredible patience. We were encouraged with the truth that because of God's grace received through faith, we are a part of his unshakable kingdom. And sometimes things around us are shaken so that we can see and appreciate and long for what is real and eternally stable. And then last week we were encouraged to live free of fear because God is with us and for us and he will never change. And this is the anchor we cling to when we are hated and scorned for having confident trust in and being obedient to God and his word. And that stays true no matter what lies man has come to believe instead. And now these last 10 verses give some more shape to what it means to live a life of faith and to run our race with endurance. The author then pronounces a blessing over his readers and ends with some personal greetings. And so that's what we're moving into today. Pastor Vince, did you just read, preach the whole book of Hebrews? All, kinda. Kind of a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to summarize it. I'm trying to remind you of the incredible journey we've been on, doctrinally, as we've traced the line of argumentation inspired by the Holy Spirit that this author has given us. This book is a great gift to the body of Christ. I'm glad that it's included in the scriptures. So let's read these last 10 verses together. Hebrews 13, 15 through 25. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Praise God for his word. Now, a solid argument can be made that the main body of this letter, some would call this a written sermon. That's really one prominent theory is, is that perhaps this was preached and then recorded by somebody else that could have some explanation of why uh, the Greek used here is of, of a higher level than is seen elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, I don't want to get down into those weeds, but that's, so it, this could be a written sermon. This is a letter, but it, there's a good argument can be made. The main body of it ends with the word amen in verse 21. And that is where I would like us to end today. But that doesn't mean that verses 22 through 25 are not inspired scripture and thus profitable for us. So I want to look at those first. We're going to deal with verses 22 through 25 and then start back at 15 and, and come back down. Okay. So, and, and, and there's, it's not just what I just said that's the reason for that. I think there's a a structural reason that will help prepare us uh, for receiving properly what we're going to deal with in 15 through 21. 
Okay, so uh, verse 22, let's look at that together. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. It's particularly helpful in light of some of the content we're covering today to think about this admonishment we're given here to bear with this word of exhortation. Bear with it, okay? Bearing with the word of God and the preaching of the word of God does not mean treating it like a buffet. The word of God isn't golden corral where you can pick the things you like and leave the rest for someone else to chew on. And that is how some people approach the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God, right? You know, I, I could see some of you going through Golden Corral. Ooh, pizza, yes. Ooh, macaroni and cheese, yes. Ooh, mini cheeseburgers, yes. Vegetable medley, no. No, we're going to leave that. That's fine if you're a Golden Corral. You eat all the trash you want. I don't care what you do. But don't do that to the Word of God. You can't do it. We can't approach it that way. Now, those of you that are really into health, I'm not encouraging people to go to Golden Corral, okay? Don't, I don't need an email about that. But if they want a special treat on their birthday and Golden Corral's it, well, praise God, hallelujah. I'll eat some mini cheeseburgers. I'm, I'm not too good. All right. Uh, to bear with the Word of God, it, it means to deal with it, and we deal with it by letting it deal with us. We do not judge God's Word. God's Word judges us. And it should lead us to perpetual praise and gratitude for his grace as we are reminded that we have not yet reached perfection in our thoughts and words and deeds. If what you expect coming to the word of God, if what you expect to hear from God is only ever things that you're going to agree with, then you have made yourself God. Then you are in a dangerous place of pride that does not acknowledge the fact that you are yet to be made perfect, and thus still have blind spots. If you have a God that never disagrees with you, you are not worshiping the God of the Bible. You are worshiping a form of yourself. That's a fun way to start, isn't it? At least we did the golden corral thing first, get us giggling a little bit before we really get in here and start kicking, right? Amen. Uh, So I would also like to call to your attention the fact that this author believes these 13 chapters worth of words was writing to them briefly. Uh, And it's very likely the original recipients would have read this all together in one sitting. So, practical application, church. If uh, you're someone that's been hoping and praying for the day, we finally start to have 20-minute sermons here at Love City Church, you're likely going to be disappointed. I mean, here's the thing, you know, there's two ways to think about this. First off, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again because I think it's true and we need reminded. If it took 45 to 50 minutes for me to stand up here and give you detailed instructions on where to find a buried treasure worth billions, I bet you could stay awake and engage. Heck, you might scribble a few notes through the whole thing. You can wholly stare and be quiet at me all you want. I know more people would make a different choice about whether they showed up. And the level of engagement and and where, where, where they were able to discipline their mind to pay attention, if this was Buried Treasure Sunday... I'm going to need 50 minutes to give you... But if you listen to my detailed instruction, instructions, you'll end up at a, at a treasure worth billions. I bet we could do it. Couldn't we? Now, the other way to think about this is, out of honor for the fact that so many of you do faithfully, week in and week out, sacrifice, get up, get yourself ready, get the kids ready, come and work through everything you've got to work through, fight through everything you've got to fight through to come and gather with God's people... I don't feel that it would be the honorable thing to come up here and, and throw 20 minutes of, of pithy stories at you and say, have a great week. My job is to feed the sheep the food that God provides, and that is the Word of God. And it takes time to genuinely work through the Word of God. And so it's, I hope you don't think when I'm joking about the length of, of the book of Hebrews and this writer thinking it's brief and, and talking about sermon length, this is, you know, guys... 
I'm intentionally employed. I, I work a job in addition to this. I mean, don't, don't think that um, <laughs> sometimes it wouldn't be easier for me to figure out how to shorten sermons or say less. But part of this is honoring you as the people of God and seeking to serve you well. And so we're, thank you. And this church really, in general, does an incredible job bearing with the word of exhortation. And that's part of why I, am, I feel so blessed to be a part of this church and am allowed to serve this body in this way. So, amen. Uh, we, we, we do need to settle in our minds that the word of God is worth immeasurably more than a buried treasure. That, that should be settled in our minds. And if we don't believe that, we should ask Jesus to help us see that truth. Um, and that's something that you and the Lord can talk about. All right, let's look at verse 23. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. So what that tells us is this author knew Timothy. Uh, some have seen that as a clue about who wrote Hebrews, and maybe it is, but Timothy was likely well-known among the churches of that time, and that means that doesn't help us a whole lot to narrow it down uh, as far as the authorship. And if, if you're wondering about that. I, I, in starting this series all the way back in Hebrews 1, I, I took time to address the authorship and how to think about that. And so if you missed that, then refer to that because <clears throat> uh, I am shooting for 45, 50 minutes, not double that. So <laughs> I don't want to preach that again. Okay. Uh, verse 24, uh, greet all of your leaders and all of the saints. Those from Italy greet you. One thing I appreciate about th- these parts of the New Testament in particular is that these personal greetings in these letters, in, in my mind, in, in the mind of others, this is probably not a thought I came up with originally. I probably read it or heard it somewhere. But these, these kind of personal greetings, they speak to the authenticity of the letters. If, if someone was writing falsehoods to just kind of cook up a fake religion and trick everybody, it's very unlikely you would see these types of things included. These very much read like a genuine letter from a church leader to other churches, to, to members and other leaders, and, and, and we see names mentioned. Like if, you know, if, if you're cooking up some big fake thing, you probably leave out your buddy's name and, and not get into all of that. But that, the fact that these are letters written by early church leaders under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our benefit, it comes through in some of those things that if you were, if you were just cooking up a religion, you, you, you wouldn't see that kind of personal touch. It would be that, that wouldn't make any sense to be there, okay? Uh, now, <clears throat> when it says, um, those from Italy greet you, okay? So this can mean that the letter is from Italy. So the writer is in Italy telling the people the letter's going to, the people here greet you, or uh, it could mean that there are some with the author wherever he is who are from Italy, and it is being written to those in Italy, so, like, there's some Italians over here with me. They say hi, right? So, and there's, here's the thing. We, we don't really know. Um, some would say that maybe this letter was headed to Rome. There was a large uh, population of Hebrews there. But we, we, we just don't know. So it could be either one of those. Um, I don't know why God and his sovereignty decided to leave um, the author of the book of Hebrews <clears throat> uh, kind of anonymous, but... Um, he obviously had a purpose in it, and so I, I trust that. So, verse 25, considering uh, the profound content of this letter, I, I think one can scarcely think of a better ending than a pronouncement of God's grace upon the readers. Uh, if you think about all of that this letter has instructed us in and led us towards, uh, to end with grace be with you all is, is altogether fitting. It makes a lot of sense. Now, if you would, jump up with me to verse 15, and let's work through this together. And so, it starts out with the words, through him. Uh, The H in my Bible is capitalized, which I appreciate. Uh, This is following up a discussion um, about bearing with the reproach of Christ outside the camp like he did, and so Jesus is still in view. So that's the him. Through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. And I, I wonder, I was trying to think of a way to say, I can't think of another way to put this, but have you ever thanked God that you can thank God? Yes. That's a good prayer. 
That shows a realization of where we would be standing without Christ. Because the very fact that we can offer praise to a perfect, holy, creator God, whose throne is above every other throne, and who without the sacrifice of Christ we have no business speaking with, the very fact that we can address him at all, even to praise him, and it reach his ears, and it be a delight to him, is, Lord, I praise you that I can praise you. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that through Christ you've made it possible not only that I can praise you, but I can go farther than that. I can come and bring my needs to you. I can come and bring my sorrows to you, and you care. You're near to the brokenhearted. You love me and care deeply for me. And and the rift in relationship that my sin should have kept between us, that that distance has been closed because of what Christ has done. And so now I, I I have the access a little child has to, to come in their parents' bedroom when they're scared, right? You know, any of you get scared and, and pop into my bedroom, we're going to have to have a conversation. You're not welcome. Call me, text me. You can even knock on the door. I'd prefer not, depending on the hour. You know, praise God we live in a time where there's telephones, so try that first. But if, you, if, I, if my eyes open up and you're there in the doorway of my bedroom, a boundary has been crossed. <laughs> but my kids, they get to come in there. When they're scared, when the storm's going crazy, whatever the deal is. They had a bad dream. And that's the kind of access we have with God the Father because of Christ. And we should have never been let in the house, Period. On our own merit. Thank God that I can thank God. And that's through Him. And then, so what does it say? So, as a result of that, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What does that mean, a sacrifice of praise? I think what, there's, there's several examples. As I was thinking about this, I, the Spirit pointed me towards this one. So, let me read you this. This is from the book of Job. Chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Uh, The first 19 verses describe the great calamity that came upon Job. He lost everything, basically. Starting in verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. After he just lost everything. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then we have this bit from the narrator, through all this Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. I I, I don't know if I can explain what a sacrifice of praise is better than just pointing you to that example. Because, thank God we don't have to bring the blood of bulls and goats as a sacrifice, but there is still a sacrifice that we come to offer. It's the fruit of our lips. It's a sacrifice of praise. And sometimes you won't feel like it. Sometimes it will be out of obedience that you praise this God that is worthy to be praised, not because you have this overflow of exuberant emotion leading you to do it. Now, I have no problem with overflows of exuberant emotion. There's nothing wrong with joy in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with being overcome with such incredible glee at the goodness of God that that worship just pours out of you. And if you're saying, I I don't know if I've ever experienced that, friend, please pray and ask God to, to show you what that's like. It's amazing. But there will also be times where that it won't feel like the wellspring on the inside, particularly emotionally, is just bubbling over, and that's where the praise comes from. From sometimes. It's, it's going to be a sacrifice. And, and God sees it that way. And it's honoring to him. And it's right. Fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. There, there is also, we need to see this, there's a distinct difference between thinking thoughts of praise and speaking or singing praise to God. It says the fruit of our lips. Now this is not to say that our inner thoughts and affections are of no meaning. For God knows those as well. I'm very thankful for that. But we are meant to make a joyful noise to the Lord as we speak and sing his praises with love-motivated boldness. 
It is not wrong to think thoughts of affection and worship. That's right. I hope more of my thoughts are bent in that direction. But, but I can't stop there. There's, there's a love-motivated boldness that should cause that to activate my vocal cords and bring out into the world the fruit of lips, a sacrifice of praise. There's something to speaking. God spoke and created all things, and we're made in his image. And when we praise with our mouths, it, it, it affects things. And God can use it to affect other people. Um, but he's, he's given us an, an instrument here uh, for making worship. And I know some of our instrument is not as finely tuned as others. Uh, but that, that's why the Bible talks about making a joyful noise. Those of us that couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, uh, that has zero bearing on what this is talking about. Now, those of you that sing beautifully, praise God. Please sing louder so that those of us that can't aren't distracting the rest of our brothers and sisters in Christ on Sunday mornings. Um, use, use that gift God gave you. Use them pipes. Drown us out. Uh, but there, there is no excuse for sitting mute. And I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. God delights in the fruit of the lips a, a sacrifice of praise from his people. And verse 16 helps us to make sure we, we don't uh, misunderstand. It says, And do, do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And so, uh, if I was going to summarize that in connection to what was just said, we can't just talk about it, we got to be about it. And so, God does look for a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, but it doesn't stop there. That's not the only sacrifice. The sacrifice is also obedience in the areas of generosity and, uh, <clears throat> and kindness and love to, to all those that we encounter. And so, doing good <laughs> and sharing, uh, those are kind of specific outworkings of the love that we are called to as a reflection of Christ's love for us. He has done much good to us and shared much with us. And we are called to go and do the same. Verse 17, the one you've all been waiting for. I know I've been waiting for it. <clears throat> Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I So this, this one is hard for pastors to teach on, especially in light of how many wolves and false prophets have used verses like this to do the exact opposite of what Peter instructed leaders in the church to do. So let me read you that. Peter, addressing fellow shepherds, says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, what does he say to them? Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, selfish gain, okay? but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe all of you, so now it's shepherds and younger men, leaders and followers, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now many have come to places like Hebrews 13, 17, and, and they've taken that and, and wielded it in ways that seem to have total disregard for the instructions we just saw from Peter, or any understanding that the, the, the example of leadership shepherds are meant to uh, be, be exemplifying is Christ himself, who came and said things like, I did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve. Jesus, who stripped down, took a towel, and washed the feet of his disciples, and said, now go and do the same. Jesus, who kind of the grand pinnacle of, of this idea, 
allowed himself to be crucified by his very own creation in order to serve them and to love them. Uh, that is, that when we talk about leadership in the church, when we talk about leadership from a biblical perspective, that's our model. There's a whole lot of other ideas in the world about what a leader is and what it means to lead people. But in a biblical framework, leadership, it means you're, you're willing, and what does he say? To be, uh, to be an example to the flock. Not, not, leaders aren't supposed to stand up and say, make sure you go do this and this and this and this. Go do this and this and don't do that and that and that and that. He, part of how you get people that truth from Christ is by you going first as a leader. And if you're unwilling to do that, you can't lead and, and think that what you're doing is being an under-shepherd in the image of Christ. Because the chief shepherd went that route. Like, it would be fine if Jesus, ne- if Jesus never did any of the awesome, servant, humble, beautiful things that he did in his ministry to show that he, God himself, was willing to serve his creation. If he had never done any of that and, and, and said, here's all the things I want you to do, and he didn't, even if he never did it and just said it, he would have had every right to do that because he's God. But he didn't. <laughs> he went low to show us the way. And that's oftentimes forgotten. Even though verse 17 has been misused by many, it doesn't mean we can disregard it or that I can skim over it because it can feel uncomfortable to deal with. It's very hard to not feel like you're in a, posi- a kind of a self-serving position to be the leader that he's talking about that, or one of the leaders that people are supposed to submit. Well, that's a fun word everyone really likes. And obey. Well, I'm an adult. What are we talking about, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's not fun to be in that position, but it, we're preaching through the book of Hebrews and here we are. And, and so we're going to faithfully deal with it. Um, <clears throat> this, this verse is the main reason that the Lord had to functionally drag me into pastoral ministry. Uh, I knew I had a call on my life at the age of 11, but what I thought that was, what I wanted to do, I wanted to go on the mission field and push a wheelbarrow and build stuff so that missionaries could preach. That's what I thought God was calling me to. And I was super cool with it. Like when the idea first hit, I, I walked into the foyer of the church that we were a part of and they had a missions board and the missionaries' names were Floyd and Sue Rice and they were raising money for brick making, uh, like so they could take clay and make it into bricks. They were building medical facilities in the jungle as kind of a gospel outpost, a way to serve the people there and uh, to, to preach to them about Jesus. And at 11 years old, that was the first time the idea ever crossed my mind. Like, oh, hold on. I could go break rocks in the jungle and, and serve Jesus that way. And I was like, bet. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> like, I'm in, right? And uh, <clears throat> through a youth pastor I had known for a couple days, uh, at, at like the age of 13 or 14, I was at this, this little summer camp in the middle of Iowa. I mean, it was, it was the worst summer camp ever in terms of like how cool it was. Uh, but God did some really incredible things in my life there. And um, this, this youth pastor, I hadn't known him but, but a couple days, uh, the Lord spoke to him and, and through him spoke to me that I would, I would not only build churches in other countries, but I would preach in them. And uh, I dismissed the second part until the Lord made it clear in no uncertain terms that it wasn't up to me. And that, that took some years. Because when that guy first said that, I was like, nah, dude, I'll build them. I got no, nothing to do with preaching in them. And uh, through, through a, a process of... of <laughs> the, the, I mean, all the only way I can say it is the Lord just made it clear over time, uh, it's not up to you, bub. Like, <laughs> you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. I was like, yep, yes, sir, I am going to do that. You're right. And since then, I've built churches in other countries and preached in them, which is pretty cool. So thankful for that. Uh, But for me, it took being convinced of God's calling first, and then the desire came. Because the Bible talks about there there needs to be a desire if you're going to operate in this office of church leadership. uh, But it it took some work for the Lord to convince me that that he was indeed calling me to to this. Um, 
But, but this verse and its implications, they've always caused me great trepidation. That's part of why I didn't want a whole lot to do with this, because <laughs> I take that seriously. This, this whole deal about the fact that I, I'm keeping watch over the souls of people and that I'm going to have to give an answer, not just for me and my family, but for those of you who are members of this church and I'm supposed to be caring for your soul. If that, if that doesn't ring your bell, like if you, have, if you have any possible idea whatsoever that maybe you're called to pastoral leadership, if this verse doesn't cause you to pause, think, pray, and sweat a little bit, then you don't even get it yet. I know you're not ready if you're not at least somewhat worried about how this, what does that mean? And also for you as church members, uh, if, if you have any love for me whatsoever, uh, remember this verse and just knock off whatever you're doing. <laughs> like, just add that to the motivation of reasons to fight against sin, man, because I'm going to have to talk to Jesus about it. So please, <laughs> for the love of all that is holy, knock it off, okay? <laughs> My God. I'm just, I mean, honestly, I think what the, what the Lord is going to hold me accountable to is that I, I did the job of preparing you to be able to obey. I can't, I can't be held accountable to whether or not you obey. So I'm joking about, I want to make sure I say I'm joking about that. Although there's not a lot of clarity here. I'm taking the totality of what the scriptures say. What this is not saying is that you have no personal response. Like if what you heard there was like, oh sweet, I'm not going to have to have a meeting with Jesus. He's got to do it. Nice. No, no, no. You guys are still talking. <laughs> okay. It ain't, it ain't like everyone gets to hide around the corner and I'm, I'm in there for 4,000 years with Jesus. Like, okay, let's talk about this one. You know, it's like, oh, um, but I, the, pastors, elders, there's an element in which we will have to, we will have to answer for how we cared for your souls. And that is a huge deal. Um, and like I said, it's, it's part of why, I, you know, the first thing I ever did serving the church was, well, I remember this time when I was a kid, they tore the house down next to the church building that that we were the where we were a part of and and they they wanted to extend the parking lot so they did they tore this whole house down and the basement uh like in order to backfill it the concrete had to be broke up in the entire basement of the thing and i remember my parents dropped me off with a sledgehammer it was in the summer dropped me off with a sledgehammer and i was in there all day beating concrete like until like i just had this, the pads of my hand were just gone but i'm just telling you man at 11, 12 years old, I was down there beating that concrete with a smile on my face. It's like, I can't believe I get to bust this basement floor up for Jesus so more people can park and come hear the gospel preached. And the, the first official position I ever had serving the church was an usher, and I swear to you, I was maybe one of the best ushers that have ever ushed in the history of usher. And I would have totally been happy to stay an usher. I couldn't believe, I was 18 years old, I couldn't believe they would let me serve as an usher. And I'm telling you, guys, I am not making this up, and part of, what, part of why I'm telling you this part is I'm also, I want to speak to some of you younger men that may be called to, to, to do this. I think part of why Jesus has made me do this is because that was genuinely what was in my heart about that stuff. Because if you start out with this desire for respect or, or, or there's some part of this doing this that you imagine is, is going to be like glorious or self-serving for you, listen to me, man. You, you are signing up to die and to give your whole life to love people and try to point them to Jesus. And it costs. And, and, but it's beautiful. It's incredible that God would let anybody serve him in any way. And I'm honored to do this, and I'm glad that, that Jesus did, did tug me and make it clear in no uncertain terms that this, who do I think I am putting boundaries around what I will or won't do for him? Right? 
if I see someone totally starry-eyed and only super stoked on the idea of being a pastor with no reservations about the fact that they will be held accountable, not just for their own life of faith, but the lives of, of those that they lead, I know for sure they've either missed this verse or they don't know what it means. And they need to think longer and pray more about it. And it is really this reality that informs a lot of our philosophy of ministry here at Love City. We have no aspirations of becoming a mega church in one location. And so if, that's, if you're here hoping we're going to blow up into a 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 member congregation all in one place, it, it, I, hope, I hope this isn't a surprise to anybody, but that is not the goal. Uh, if, if God is to, it was to cause exponential growth to happen among us, uh, we would not just keep buying uh, or, or building bigger buildings. We would prayerfully raise up more called and qualified shepherds to care for and lead God's people. And we would make sure each local assembly had pastor elders who could actually know the people they're supposed to be caring for. So that's, that's the plan if God should cause exponential growth among us, and he can do that, uh, and he may. But our plan won't be to just keep swelling into this, this giant congregation. And, and let me say this. <clears throat> I'm not saying big churches are bad or unfaithful. Please hear me say that. But I am saying every church better have a plan for how the elder pastors are able to actually care for the souls of the people. And that's pretty hard to do if you don't even know their name. Now, the thrust of this verse is not primarily focused on the faithfulness of the leaders. I've taken a minute to talk about that because I think it's right to. Uh, But it is focused on the reality that every believer is called to be submitted to the leaders that God calls to serve and shepherd his people. That is really the thrust of the verse. Okay? And that is a pretty hard pill for many people to swallow. And I get that. For some people, that's a hard pill to swallow because they have been hurt by false shepherds, wolves, false prophets, liars, charlatans, um, people with, that are in it for wrong motives and for sordid gain, people that ignored 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, And so I get that, and I've got great compassion for that. And when I say I get that, I'm not saying I get it conceptually. I'm not saying I get it from a theory. Uh, I have experienced unfaithful pastoral leadership, and I've seen behind the curtain on some stuff that make you want to throw up. Okay? So that's... I get why this can be hard, but sometimes it has nothing to do with that. Sometimes it has to do with plain old pride and rebellion, too. So let's say that. There you go. I, thought, I hope somebody knew that was a good spot to say amen. <clears throat> and so when this talks about obeying the leaders God establishes, submitting to the leaders God establishes, we need to consider that the most basic test for whether someone has a submitted heart is disagreement or correction. And here's what I mean. Uh, If you've never been challenged to change the way you are thinking or behaving by a leader in the church, then all you have so far is agreement. We've just agreed. There's been no opportunity for submission. Okay, Submission is giving someone the ability to tell you you are wrong and it carrying the proper weight that it should. Submission is is being in a place of, of humility and saying if that... If that person, because God has called them to care for my soul, says I should stop and think about what I'm doing, I'm going to stop and think about what I'm doing. That's what submission means. Just, and I told you, this, it's not comfortable for me to explain this to you. But I will, I'm not going to do you the disservice of skipping it because it makes me uncomfortable. Because it's in here. And it's a part of what it means to run a race of endurance in faith. This is part of how God has set up for his kingdom to operate, for his church to work. Do I wish he would have appointed angels over churches instead of human pastors? Sometimes, yeah. I don't know why he's done it the way he's done it. 
I, I don't know why Jesus can't just be the chief shepherd and we don't need under shepherds. Like, God, couldn't we have done it that way? I guess conceptually he could have, but he didn't. He did it this way for some reason. And, and I, you know, we could, if we sat here and took time to think about it and talk about it, there's probably many re- reasons we could understand why that's the case. But whatever, this is what the Lord has said. This is what the Lord has done. You're going to have to decide what you're going to do with it, uh, as uncomfortable as it may be. Uh, now, we do need to say that leaders must be careful not to stray outside bounds or out of bounds biblically when it comes to this. This is very important. Okay? None of us have to submit to the mere opinion of anybody. That's important. And if leaders in the church try to force that to happen, they are showing that they may not be and probably are not qualified to lead. If you have somebody standing up in the office of an elder pastor and trying to force their opinions, not something that is clearly taught in Scripture, upon people, that they've gone too far. And that you are not bound to submit to that. But if a leader is calling you to think or live in line with biblical commands and the truth of the gospel, you are called to submit to that, whether you like it very much in that moment or not. To refuse to acknowledge that God establishes under shepherds within his church, or to refuse to humbly heed their instruction, would be unprofitable for you. That's the instruction here. You can totally ignore that Hebrews 13, 17 and verses like it exist in the scripture. You can run around and say, well, Jesus is my pastor. But you are wrong, and that approach will be unprofitable for you. It will hurt you. That is not the way God has set this up. I would encourage every one of you to have very high and biblical standards for this type of submission. I don't know who else here today. Maybe this isn't your home church. Maybe this is your home church. Either way, I mean what I'm saying. You should have very high and biblical standards for this type of submission. If it is not clear that a pastor genuinely loves God and genuinely loves you, and that elder pastor meets the qualifications for an elder found in Timothy and Titus, if those things aren't in place, they cannot be trusted to have this kind of authority in your life. And they shouldn't be. Now, you may be wondering, and I hope you are, do pastors need to obey this verse? Do elders need to obey this verse? I hope you're thinking that. And the answer is yes. They absolutely do. Because just, just because someone is called to be an under-shepherd under Jesus the chief shepherd doesn't mean they don't also need shepherding. We all need the kind of accountability and care for our souls that shepherds are meant to uh, provide. And so... <clears throat> What does that look like? Well, it can look several different ways, all right? For us here at Love City Church, we think this idea is a part of why the scriptures seem to give, as, as far as how the church should be governed, why it seems to point to a plurality of elders as the most practically helpful way for the church to be led. What does that mean? That means... As opposed to having a model where you have uh, kind of a big Pumbaa pastor who supposedly is just reporting to Jesus himself and then, and then everyone else is kind of under him in the, in the org chart, that, that, it makes it very hard for that guy to be held to any accountability, have anybody caring for his soul, have anybody making sure he hasn't strayed in the way he's thinking, living, acting, right? Uh, but... So best case scenario, this is our position here at Love City Church, is that you have a plurality of elders. And so what that means is, but there's other ways to do it. There there are ways where you'll you'll have a pastor in a place and then there's some kind of oversight board or or some some denominations have bishops or um, maybe there's a collective of pastors that try to do this for one another. And, And here's the thing, the Bible doesn't, I really... At one level, I wish back by the maps, there was like a, a, an org chart that was written by an angel, and it said, here's how you structure church governance, 
right? But God didn't do that, and I think it's because God's brilliant, and he knows that there are sometimes situations where there needs to be flexibility around these things. A, a congregation in the middle of uh, war-torn Africa may look different than one in Cincinnati, Ohio, or an underground church in China uh, trying to hide while, while you know, to, to keep from getting killed for what they're doing. You may not be able to establish a plurality of elders right off the rip right there. So you may not get best case scenario, but even that leader needs to make sure they, they have somebody in their life that they're submitted to and that is caring for their soul. Pastors need a pastor. You never grow out of that. You don't, you don't get up to the top of the org chart and it's like, okay, now, yay, I made it. No more accountability. And if you want that, you're a fool. If, if, that's, what you, if that's what you think you're climbing to, you're a fool. And you don't understand how humans work at all <laughs> or how this whole thing is supposed to be set up. So the, there are other ways to do it, but what we have here, by God's grace, is, is a plurality of elders. And so what does that functionally mean? That means that if either Pastor Jordan or Pastor Andrew were to come to me and to say, hey man, I think what you said there was wrong, or I think what you're doing here is wrong, I think you need to stop and pause and think about this, Either one of those guys come to me and talk about anything like that. My chest is not coming out. I'm not going to get defensive. I'm going to sit my happy butt down and say, yes, sir, let's talk about that. And it's not just those two because they're elders and pastors here caring for my soul. There are other seasoned men in this congregation that the same is true. If they were to come to me and say, man, I'm concerned about this. My instant reaction is not to justify myself or start telling them why they're wrong. I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm going to listen. Because I know they love me and I know they love Jesus. And I know they know their Bible. I'm just telling you, that's the way we're all supposed to operate. And you never get to a point in, in, the, in the church org chart where you're out of the need to have your soul cared for and to be shepherded, to have somebody watching your back that loves you and loves Jesus. Everyone all right with that? Good. It wouldn't matter a whole lot at this point if you're not all right with it, but I hope you are. I think it's pretty good news, man. Here's the beauty of a plurality of... Here's, and I'm not trying to... Please, this is not... I'm not trying to pick fights with the way other people do it. Please, but just I want you to... I want you to feel the safety of this and the beauty of why it seems the scriptures, when it refers to elders, it's the elders at Ephesus. It's the elders at this place and this place. It's, talk, say, greet all your leaders. It didn't say greet your leader. It says greet your leaders. Okay? Here's the, here's the beauty of the functional beauty of that. Okay? If, I, if, if, what, if my spiritual oversight is a bishop somewhere or somebody I'm reporting to that is higher in the org chart somewhere else, I, I, I can report anything to them. And unless things get bad enough that, that some of you are like, hey, bishop, or whatever the deal is, right? Uh, we got a problem over here. A lot could be hidden. A lot could stay under the radar but until it could get to that point. And then people would have this moral dilemma of, well, is it even right for me to do that? And what, you know, what, here's the thing. When you've, got, when you've got pastor elders that are mutually submitted to one another, that are in each other's face, that are watching each other deal with the incredible insanity sometimes of trying to shepherd and pastor people, seeing their reactions, they know what's going on in one another's lives. All their wives have each other's phone number, and all their wives have their phone number. So if if I start talking crazy to my wife, if I start going buck wild and disrespecting her and, 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 and treating her in a way that is unbiblical and not Christ-like, th th that's not going to go too far before Pastor Jordan and Pastor Andrew are on the phone. And if those two have to come over there and deal with me, that's, that will happen. There are other men in this church. Is Mike Taylor in here right now? Mike Taylor is a spiritual father to me. Thank you, man. I love you. Mike Taylor on several occasions, and sometimes it was things he just, he, we talked about it and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that really needed to be concerned about, but that man is bold enough. Stand up right now, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer it loudly. If you, if you see me talking, acting, 
any way that is not in line with a good example of Christ, would you call me out? Would you be scared to do it or would you do it? He'll smack me right upside my head. I love you for that, man. Thank you. You all need it, whether you know it or not. And I know it's hard when you have given your heart and trust to somebody like that and they've abused it or misused it. But I promise you, and, and here's the thing, this kind of vulnerability, it does open you up to the possibility of being hurt by leaders' imperfection. But you also got to, we got to go in with this realization. Jesus set this thing up for us to, to have people care for our souls, to be in mutual submission to one another. What, what did Peter say? All of you clothe yourself with humility. Okay? There is a chance that you end up then hurt by the imperfection of, of a leader or somebody that, that you are submitted to and obeying. But that, that in and of itself is another opportunity for the gospel to do its great work. Um, I'm sure I have hurt some of your feelings before. <laughs> I'm sure as a result of my imperfections, I, I have done less than a perfect job. And, and I'm sure Pastor Andrew has and Pastor Jordan has and, and other leaders here. I'm sure it's happened may, maybe countless times, but the gospel and the grace of God has, has to operate for all of this to work. And we clothe ourselves with humility. And if there's repentance, and, 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 and that's the other thing I want you to know. You know, <clears throat> if you, this, we are not in a situation where if somebody in leadership here does something, or you see them doing something, saying something, or, or something towards you, uh, or, or whatever, you have a concern. We're, we are not in a situation where uh, we, we, we don't talk about that and start throwing verses out like, don't touch God's anointed. No, 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 no. If you, have a if you see something, say something. That's how, we, that's how we roll. If you see something with a leader that is concerning, say it, because here's one of two things going to happen. Either A, you're right. You see a place where they're misstepping. And so then we, we can deal with it, and we can apply uh, correction and whatever needs to happen. And, and you know that could vary in a lot of different ways, <laughs> depending on what it is, but we can deal with it. Amen. That's a good outcome, okay? Or you, you may see something or think you see something and be mistaken, and, and we need to talk about that because the other option is what Satan wants you to do is just be quiet about it and let it fester in your heart, cause division between you and the people that are supposed to be caring for your soul. And that's all bad, and that's often what happens. Okay, so, amen. <clears throat> that, was, that was a fun little trip. What's verses 18 and 19 say? <clears throat> pray, pray for us. <laughs> pray for us for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Uh, another vitally important way to relate to leaders is praying for them. And uh, I am really blessed in this regard. I, I genuinely, I get texts often from people letting me know that they're praying for me. And I, this is, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm not just saying something nice. I am certain that that is what makes the difference oftentimes when the intense weight of shepherding the people of God is bearing down. I know I am prayed for. I know there are many in this church that pray for the leadership of this church. And you do understand at least to some degree how unbelievably wild it is to try to shepherd the people of God in service of him and in service of them. It's, it, if there's a more intense thing in the world, I, I can't imagine it. It's wild, man. But it's also full of blessing. And it's beautiful. And I'm thankful. Verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus, our Lord. This is first the God of peace, calling our attention to the fact that we have a good God of love who wants peace with us, which is incredible. Calls us to peace with one another, which is incredible. Equips us to have peace with one another, which is incredible. We have a God of peace. We have a God of love. But then it says, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. And now there's a pivot. So and I've been telling you now for several weeks, I've kind of let you behind the curtain of, of the medicine that I'm always sneaking into every sermon. 
the idea that God is good, his intentions toward you are good, and, and he is also powerful. If we, can get, if we can get to where our hearts are settled on those truths, so much of what causes us fear and to, to not operate and walk in faith would, would, would be cast aside. So many of our doubts would be quieted if we could just settle on the fact that God is both good and powerful. And so we have a God of peace. We also have a God who brought Jesus up from the grave, man. That's a, that's a nod to the power of God. That's a nod to the fact that God is not just a God of peace. He is a God of war. And he will war with every force that would try to get in the way of peace with him and us having peace with one another. To the degree that he had zero problem taking on death and without breaking a sweat, broke its neck. See, this God of peace that we have can be the God of... Jesus can be the Prince of Peace because of his power. How can God promise you peace? How can God say, you don't have to worry? Because I'm telling you, forever you can trust me that you can have peace. How can you make a statement like that if you are not supremely powerful? That's talking trash right there. Here's what I can guarantee you. If you trust me, you will be okay. If you trust me, there is no enemy that can come and overwhelm you. If I'm with you, you have zero reason for fear. That's big talk. That's talk of somebody that can, can back it up. And, and you could say, okay, well, are we sure he can? Yes, look to the resurrection. Look to the fulfillment of so many promises when even death itself, the power of death itself, yielded to the great and supreme power of God. God is a God of love, and he will war with anything that would harm those he loves. And I'm glad. I'm glad God knows how to love perfectly, and he can also handle his business. (laughs) And he does it constantly on our behalf. Very thankful for that. Verse 21. May that God, the God of peace, the powerful God that brought Jesus, the great shepherd, up from the dead, through the blood of the eternal covenant, the eternal covenant, the never-changing covenant, even Jesus our Lord, may that God equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So that God, that good God, that powerful God, here's the prayer, here's the blessing of this author to his readers. May that God equip you with all that you need to run the race of endurance by faith. This this brings us back to remembrance of the entirety of what we've gone through the last 26 weeks. Because what does it say? We see that language again of through him. We started with the words through him. Here it is again. What does that bring us to? It brings us to this idea. Even our ability to obey and do God's will is based on confident trust in him. This is not about you becoming convinced, okay, yes, obeying God is good, so now I'm going to do it in my strength. No, 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 no. The message of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is, yes, God is worthy of your full allegiance and obedience, and you're going to need him every minute to do any of it. It's through him. It's through him. It's through him. And that's the greatest news you're going to hear today, I promise. Whether you get it right now or not. Because it's not, it's, the news is not just you are insufficient to do what you were created to do in and of yourself. That's not the end of the news. That's the bad news. The good news is God will give you all that you need. He has everything you need to do exactly what you were created to do. And he wants to pour it out upon you. And he wants to give it to you. It is by his power we obey. It is by his power we endure. It is by his power we overcome. And it is by his power we are sustained for all of the days that he grants us to walk this earth, accomplishing his will for his glory. And that is always for the good of those that he loves. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. For the book of Hebrews. Thank you, Lord, 
for your great wisdom in knowing what we need. Thank you for calling different authors with different experiences and different giftings to write these letters under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit to give us the full picture that we need of who you are, how worthy you are to be trusted, how much we desperately need you. Lord, we have been given everything we need to actually run a race of endurance, to actually set our eyes upon the proper goal and prize, which is you. You're the prize. You're the goal. Relationship with you is what we were made for. And that's what's being restored. Sin broke that. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's through him, it's through him that we have hope today. It's through him that we have hope for eternity. It's through him that we live and move and have our being. It's through him that we have any reason to exist at all. And so, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what we've been called to throughout the book of Hebrews. I thank you for how we've been equipped throughout the book of Hebrews. I thank you for all of the precious gifts and truth that you've poured into us as we've studied this incredible letter. Thank you. Thank you for establishing your church in the world, Lord. Thank you for involving us in your great work of redemption. You didn't have to do it that way, but Lord, it's clear some part of you delights in including your children in the mission of destroying all the effects of sin. Thank you for allowing us to participate in what you are doing. And thank you for loving us and wanting us to be on mission with you. Thank you, Lord, for these promises. Thank you for your faithfulness to them. Please help us to walk in love and by faith all the days of our life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.